This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome, everybody, to Snark Monkey number 13. Lucky number 13. And we are very lucky to have on this episode the great Dave Finkel. Oh, my God. I'm not going to talk very much in the preamble here because it's a long episode. Dave was very kind to just stay and riff and play and and just go through his whole journey, which is awesome. I've known Dave since, well, I, I hate doing the math because I'm not good at math, but for, oh, years ago when he was a sketch actor and doing wacky comedy bits, we cover his whole history in this. And he, along with his writing partner, Brett Baer, have gone on to be a part of shows on the writing staff of Norm, Just Shoot Me. He was on <laughs> Pinky and the Brain, Animaniacs, 30 Rock for one season. And most prominently and most recently, he and Brett are the showrunners on the hit Fox TV comedy series, New Girl, uh, which perfectly fits his sensibility. We get a idea of his very unusual path. This is, again, one of those stories where someone starts out focused on one thing and it totally becomes another, but still satisfies that need to create and express themselves in a way that is unique to them. Uh, Plus, he's just dark and bizarre and awesome. This is a great episode. And, uh, oh, God, I forgot. Monkey Boys. Oh, yes. Monkey Boys. A perfect lead-in to Snark Monkey number 13. This, for better or worse, and by the way, not safe for work by any means. This is Dave Finkel, Snark Monkey number 13. Finkel. I'm good. It's been ages. It's been a long time. You, uh, you're like, you're, uh, since I've seen you, and honestly, and I don't want you to take this wrong, I would have never, ever, <laughs> I, how do I put this, this nicely? This in a variety of ways. Go on. Um, I would have never expected you to be in the position you are now. Not I'm a, that, no, I'm a shit heel. No, <laughs> no, that's not what I'm saying. No, but you should be saying that. No, you're. I mean, because you've always been creative. I've always been fascinated uh, to watch you work. Uh, when you did wacky little radio bits for us yes. back in the day, and nobody cares about that history, but um, but they were unlistenable. I loved. Ha- no, they weren't. <laughs> but the, well, they, I, look, I came from an experimental background, and and that's what I thought I would do. And then one day I realized that I needed to earn a dollar. So you sh- you make that that minor shift. And all of a sudden, things open up for you. If you have that creative sort of thing, yeah. it's going to be nuts. Then, it, when you figure out how to harness it in and bring it down a little bit, it, it makes sense to more people. Yeah. Now, one thing I obvi- you obviously never learned here is mic technique. I need you to talk on that thing. How's this? I just, you know what I'm afraid of? I, I'm really afraid of the fact that I'm. I feel like I'm a heavy breather, and I'm afraid that in between, that like while you're talking, that you'll just hear that. 
I can barely hear that. Well, well, well right. when you're not talking, I will be talking. All right, all right. And we both have to but breathe. just know that if I'm breathing heavy, I'm not masturbating. <laughs> I, I mean, I might be. My hands are here. I would like you to keep them on the table That's at all fine. times. I don't need my hands. But uh, <laughs> but to go back to my yes. insensitive comment, um, what wh- the, one of the things that's been fascinating about starting this podcast is that the first guests have all been, I've called in favors, I've called in people that I've known years ago and i've kind of watched their journey mm-hmm. and from afar in a way i mean you and i've kind of sort of been in touch yeah social media or whatever um but it's uh, it's fascinating and it's and it's kind of awesome and uh, lucky people very lucky well yeah, but 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 it's mm-hmm. nice to see talented people and you're also a, you know you're not a shit heel you're a relatively nice guy my wife would disagree most <laughs> everyone i know would disagree but go on <laughs> i'll take just this not true look i'm sitting here on a sunday night I will t- i'm going to work tomorrow i will take any compliment i can get well, god love you being nice to come in and do this i i want to talk about about a bunch of things but you, we talked about just before we went on the air you've lived here all your life basically mm-hmm. uh, i lived here Let's see, I grew, I grew up in the uh, San Fernando Valley. Uh, I left here. I, I, I went to like four different colleges, three different colleges out here. I uh, dropped out of all of them and then went to NYU uh, in 90 um, and eventually dropped out of there and then just sort of like fucked around in New York. Can I, this is a pop. Oh, of course. Yeah, okay, you can say so anything you around, want. Uh, I fucked around New York for five, six years and had the time of my life and followed a girlfriend back out here. And I've been out here ever since I did one year in New York on 30 Rock. And then right. I've been back out here ever since. So what was uh, so you grew up in San Fernando Valley. What did your parents do? Mom did a bunch of stuff. She's she's I mean, she's retired now. She worked for a long time for like Speedo and, and uh, um, Bell Easton Helmets and did a, did a bunch of sporting goods, customer oh, wow. service stuff. My dad. Uh, my dad owned a, a, a garment. We're Jews. So. <laughs> <laughs> we're either doctors or we're in the garment industry in the early seventies. My dad was in the garment industry, uh-huh. and uh, and uh, he hated it, hated every second of it because it's a. It's and you a, heard about it? Oh yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. horrible. I mean, oh, horrible. so he brought that home with him. No, my dad's a very, my dad's pretty cool about it. Like he always had a dream of like I want to do something. My dad's always been a very hands on man, and he he. Uh, you know, he's been building things his entire life. He would do shit like he would build. He'd bring home a block of wood and he'd slowly plane it down to uh, a uh, um, black powder rifle and and like he what he would blacksmith all the parts to it and or he made saddles or he a lot of a lot of western and and mountain man style uh you know early 18, 1850s style stuff oh wow so he sold his business and then he started to just become a he's a craftsman he's still a craftsman so he's he, still doing that yeah, yeah he's a leather he does leather trade and he does the saddle making and anything that people need he's he's the jew in the valley that, that does that because it need there was a there was a hole to fill, so they were like, "Who? We need a guy in the valley, a Jew in the valley who can do who can do saddles and 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 bridal work." And and my dad filled that hole. Wow! Now I saw a millionaire. I, I'm sorry, <laughs> millionaire off of that million. Are you serious? Oh, sitting on a pile of cash. <laughs> now didn't I see you recently build something? You posted something on Facebook, or you 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 tried to assemble something, or well, which thing? <laughs> Could, I mean, I'm asking, did it translate to you? Are you trying? Do you try to do that I on your own? I have every intention. I have the, all the desire and none of the. When my dad was the scout leader, right, and uh, and uh, he would, <laughs> like, we would do something like. I remember specifically, we were building these little bookcases. There were these like any idiot can put this fucking thing together. And then my dad going around and like looking at everyone's work, and he's like, "Oh, this is great. Maybe do this." Like giving people a little advice here and there. Then he gets to mine. And he just looks at me. and He goes, ah, "David." <laughs> 
God damn it. God damn it. We walk away. And like, you know, he loved me, but I didn't have, I had creativity clearly in other ways yeah. um, that I learned later on that he was very proud of and enamored of. And um, I, I do have the the want to be better at that shit. I'm just not, I'm not great. I can put together Legos. I think that's, are you talking about my oh, Legos? that's what it was, yeah. Yeah, I built a VW bus out of Legos. But I, but that's like an idiot can open up a box and look at directions. If you can put one and one together, you yeah, can figure out Legos. Yeah, but it takes some patience and, and, and something else. Yeah, let's, to... not, let's not sugarcoat okay. it. Okay, I'm still. Still trying to give you compliments to. <laughs> I made some cigar cigar box guitars. Those those are all right. But oh, that's that's what I saw. Yeah, that's pretty cool. I built. The, I built. Do you the play? Uh, I noodle. I don't play. Yeah. I, I'm trying to teach myself ukulele and bass and guitar and stuff like that. Just because with all my fucking free time. <laughs> um, but yeah, I try. I try. What, uh, did but brothers and sisters? Not no one. No, they uh, they they stopped. They 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 gave up. They, they, it was enough. No, they had no. What, what my wife and I say is that we had the perfect child. We didn't need anymore. Yeah, yeah. They had a perfect child. That's it. That's it. Were they funny? My, you know, my was dad. There comedy. They're they're weirdos. Like I, they're they're like really they're they're yeah they are funny. Like they think things are funny. I wouldn't say that my dad can construct a joke. Right. My dad is very quiet, but like they know when something's funny, and my and like their just take on life is just very odd. They're not like cartoon characters they're just you know they're children of my my mom was a child of a holocaust survivor so things had a oh. different slant to it because they knew how bad life could be so my mom's outtake was my mom's outlook on life was always like well look at least you know you're not in auschwitz right right <laughs> so but, but she wasn't dark though no right? no, no no not she, at all she had she had a much more i mean she's probably to a fault no not yeah. dark at all everything so she was turned fine. very optimistic it was like this is a this is a life worth living because it could be so much worse oh yeah definitely yeah, okay. and there was also like that i mean it was it, probably to a fault where she would be like you know, you walk home and you're like, I've got a knife sticking out of my eye. She's like, well, you know, David, at least you have your other eye. <laughs> at least you have another eye. Like, it's always that sort of like, there's no darkness. It's all rainbows and fairy tales. So this was a family that was tolerant of somebody who had an inclination to be silly and to go toward yes. the, the creative. They rode the, ro- they rode the ride with me down a lot of very strange, very strange turns. So was it... With all the colleges you dropped out of, was it were you focused on acting early on? Was it being a comedian? Was it something like that? It wasn't writing at first. I was, right? you know, it's funny. I listened to Garmin's uh, podcast uh, yeah. the other day, and and I appreciate the shout out. So this is a shout out back to this Garmin. Is Ralph, I'm, Ralph Garmin, yeah, yeah. I'm sure we'll get there too. You, there's a Venn, Venn diagram of the show, by the way, that at, like somewhere in the like the amount of people that have been on the show that have been like very formative in my life. Garmin and Jim Wise. I mean, very very big. Right. We'll, I'm sure we'll get to those those things at some point. In Absolutely. This conversation. Yeah, but uh, uh, I wasn't. I was funny. Like I was definitely a funny kid, and you know, a, a weirdo. Um, I've always had an experimental bent, and I thought, like Garmin, I was going to be like a serious actor. I wanted to be like in the experimental theater scene. That was going to be my thing. Like, I what was, was the weird... scene? Where was that? New York. Yeah. yeah, there was a lot. of I mean, I did a bunch of plays out here, but then when I moved to New York, I saw there was a there was a company out here that, that, that had come out here to visit. They did a show called The Boogeyman at back of the L- in the old days. LATC was a theater complex down right. on Grand, and it was an old bank building. And they'd bring in these oddball companies. And a company came in called Dara Luz. Um, there was a guy that ran it out of Yale. His name is um, Reza Abdo. He's since died of AIDS, like years twenty twenty years ago or something like that. But he uh, had this company that just did the most aggressive, like polysexual, like political, sexual politics and gender politics and all these like amazing things. 
And it was like the most frightening thing I'd ever seen. I was like, I, I have to be a part of that. I have to figure out how to be a part of that. So like from that moment on, I was like, I, I want to do that. Um, now, what was it about you that was leaning toward the the experimental or the or the just the weird? I don't know. Or just... I just sort of liked the reaction. There was back when I was younger. Not so much anymore. It's so weird, like being a guy who's part of the establishment now with with what I do. In those days, it was like, if I can fucking do a play that will make every single person walk out, then I've achieved my like I've done it. <laughs> you I've want done to do like settle people. Yeah, yeah. I like I like like having I like having the conversation, and I still do. Like I don't I, I don't incite you know arguments or anything, but like. I just like to hear the, con- you know, like, I feel like a burp coming up. It's like. Go for it. I had some Starbucks before I got in here and it just, it's, it's right there. Well, when you, it comes. Maybe you're in your performance mar- art mode. <laughs> it's just going to be part of the narrative. <laughs> it is what it is. Um, and but- then we'll just start burping at, a- at each other. <laughs> it won't end there. No, no, not at all. <laughs> uh, but I, I, I enjoyed that side of things where you're just sort of like where, where the conversation doesn't end the moment the lights go out. I wanted it to continue on. I wanted people to be upset by it or hurt by it or, or like confused by it. And it was sort of just a part of my makeup at that point. And then, well, it's interesting because the, the, the absurd totally informs your, the best work that you've done over the last couple of years, as Probably. you, as you say in the establishment, but mm-hmm. we're talking about a show that, Focused on a micro penis, and uh, yes, congratulations by Thank the way. Thank you. Thank on, you so much. On, I don't know when the Peabody's going to arrive, <laughs> but that was uh, that was a watershed moment for it me. It really as well. was, yeah. and it's funny too because it, it, this has nothing to do with you, but it was also the same week that what was it that the Mindy Project? Did? Oh, they did they did anal sex the same right. night. Yes. That's right, the yeah. same night. Yeah. That's right. It was a real. So it was a visit. big night for Fox. It's a very odd thing too with stuff like that where people come up to me and go like, "I watch your show with my daughter." All the time, and I'm like, oh, really? Because we're pretty, we're we're fucked. <laughs> like the shit we do is bad. Like you, sh- I, I want to go. Like you shouldn't. <laughs> Great, I'm glad you do because we need the audience. But don't. Well, as someone who wanted to start the conversation, what greater conversation to have between a mother and her daughter than, yeah, than discussing micro penises? <laughs> micro peni. I guess I have come full circle. Thanks. <laughs> you really have. I will put the gun down. But the sense <laughs> of but what the point I'm making is that somehow you were able to kind of adapt that, or the maybe the world adapted to you. I don't know. But no. but, but but Thirty Rock definitely exists in some sort of universe that's not. You know, yeah, I mean, definitely. No, I think I think we had, yeah, definitely. It sort of fit our sensibility in a, in a kind of great way. I mean, it reminds me of there is there's a story about you. I can't remember who told me. Maybe it was Jason Huber, another one of our friends. Yes, um, because you and Brett and I'm jumping around here, but sure. you you and Brett were writing partners when I knew you. Mm-hmm. Um, you guys were working on stuff. You you were doing specs. You were putting stuff out there. You had determined that that was the way to get into whatever you wanted to do. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, and is it true that you wrote a Seinfeld spec? You guys, did you guys write a no. Seinfeld spec? We never wrote a Seinfeld. Okay, we did a Friends. We did a Friends. Uh... There was, I, here's the thing: that, that there was a spec you wrote that had something really outrageous in it. I think that's what I'm trying to remember. The spec that we wrote that that sort of like broke the doors open was a Larry Sanders show. Oh wow! Spec because I loved that show. Like it was a religion to me. Like I watched it every. I mean, every week it was a religious experience. It's kind of amazing. It's still and, and still, it still holds yes, up. Yes, I was just gonna say. And it's like crazedly profound based on like where television is today. But beyond that, like yeah, so we wrote an episode about a yeah. woman who hangs herself because Larry made fun of her. Like she hangs herself on page two okay. because Larry. She was like sitting on the panel. She was like, you know how remember right. how Carson. Used to have the potato chip lady, right? It was based on that famous Carson bit where Carson had this woman on a very old lady from like 
you know, Pawtucket or whatever the fuck she was from. And she had potato chips that looked like celebrities. Right. And he pulled a gag on her. He pulled one out of the bowl and he ate it. But it was a. But it was a. It was. Yeah. A, it was a prop chip. Yes. Right. So in this spec. Uh, he does basically the same thing, but the woman goes home and, and hangs herself. And then it's all about Larry dealing with, what am I going to do? Wow. So, yeah. Hilarious. <laughs> really fun stuff. So, yeah. <laughs> Still in the dark, the dark ages. Yeah. Okay. I, I can't. I must have, that was a, an apocryphal story. Then. No, yeah. It, it, it was, Hubert doesn't know what he's talking about. He's yeah, always like, yeah. drunk. Yeah. Was it drunk or is it drugs or is it a combination? It's a combination. He's, right. he's on a, he's on, on a right. fast you, track to nowhere. Huber, this is your audio intervention, by the way. <laughs> So, so let's so I'll I'll jump back again because um, so you're in school. Are you doing plays and stuff? Oh yeah. School? Are you doing school plays? You you mean in high school? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. So are you also while you're also have this experimental bit? Are you also doing freaking you know Annie or Wizard of Oz or no? You know, in my high school, we had this. uh, I went to this high school in the West Valley and. I went to El Camino Real High School with Lisa Cushel Nay Arch, or, or reverse that. Lisa Arch now. Uh, and um, we had this teacher named Deborah Grieb who, she would never do the easy thing. She would never do like, you know, what's, what's I don't even know what the what the right thing would be. We'd never do like HMS Pinafore or some piece yeah. of shit because she didn't want to. She wanted to like, she was like, well, let's challenge Let's challenge the norm. Let's see how far that's we can go. Right. It was that's crazy. rare, actually. The kids hated it. Really? Oh fuck! Oh, no. they wanted to have, do the fun play. Yeah, they were like, "Let's, yeah, why don't we do a Neil Simon?" And we were doing like under Milkwood, which is like you know really broody Dylan Thomas, you know, poetic, like no one. We did a play called Viet Rock when I was when I was there. That was one of the leads in that was dealing with the Vietnam War. Um, you know. There was no war at the time. We hadn't quite invaded Iraq the first time. There was like no real reason to do it except it was very experimental, a very different sort of thing. And everybody hated it but me. I was like I was a pig in shit. <laughs> there was just weird shit happening all over the place. And I was like, let's do more weird like let's fucking pull our dicks out now. And then, and, then, and uh, You sh- didn't actually do that, did you? Yeah. Oh well. Stuff happens. Right. No, I, um but but like we would always do weird plays, like like interesting stuff just because she was interested in seeing what she could how far she could push us and i appreciated that like i think she couldn't no that's formative stuff right there because you're, you're talking about parents who absolutely let you be an idiot mm-hmm. you got i mean everybody needs to have that champion at some point yes. i can pinpoint it for me in radio that person who allows you mistakes and all you are probably terrible mm-hmm. um i'm just saying you yeah. know because you were a kid you but but who let you try who let you really push it absolutely yeah and and it gave us balls you know it gave us whether people like doing these shows or not it gave them balls and it gave them the ability to the thing that I, so my so my friend sue who i graduated with she's now the drama teacher in my school and she does the same thing where she pushes they actually I don't know if you know about this play. There's a play called Eight that they did a couple years ago that um, Lance, Dustin Lance Black, Lance Dustin Black, whatever the guy that wrote Milk. Oh, okay. Uh, he wrote this play about gay marriage, and and she's a gay woman, and she teaches at the high school, and she wanted to do a play that sort of pushed those boundaries. And so they were, they were the first people. I helped her you know, write a letter to, to, to Mr. Black, and he allowed her to do the show. I think they were the first high school in Los Angeles, in the United States, that did this play. So this school has – and her reasoning for doing it is because, she, again, she wanted to sort of like open up the conversation with the community, a very sort of staunch Republican community out there. And she like carried on the legacy of like let's not 
we have an opportunity to, to have people think a little harder. Well, let's not just entertain them. And I think that was the sort of thing that got planted on all of us is like, this is a, this is an important thing. Let's, let's see what, let's see how far we can go. Let's That's push great. the boundaries. Real surprising that like, even in, in I think more so in hindsight. I don't so think hindsight. that happens anymore. I, I just don't see, especially this is a public high school, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, it's a charter, but yeah. Yeah. I don't, I just don't think it happens. It, I, I have no idea. I'm so, I'm still linked to El Camino. I'm tripping over my own wire. Um, <laughs> I, I'm still linked to them. I go speak there every now and then, I'm, and I support the program. And, and uh, I, I don't know what goes on under the schools, but I hope they do because it's so it like just changes. It changes the perspective, and it changes like it prismatically adjusts the way you see the world, which I think is really important. Well, even like you just said, it just it, just to start the conversation. I mean, to start a 16 and 17 year old just thinking about something other than especially right now and i don't want to get into we can both be the grumpy old men going oh, with the social media and the, you know, <laughs> just the kind of the surfacey nature of of just communicating with people yeah to to dig a little deeper into something no definitely and i, I think i think that you by doing these things and having the experience i had and i hope that that other schools are having out there um, that they realize they're part of a bigger thing. Because I think there's a tendency, at least there was in those days, to think like, okay, I'm going to lead in whatever fucking play I'm doing, that I'm going to go out and I'm going to become a, the next big actor. And I think a lot of us, I mean, a lot of people went on to do to do big things, but I think a lot of people thought like were thoughtful, became thoughtful people um, that were aware of their surroundings, and that, that that that's important to me. I'm I'm trying to install that instill that in my children yeah. as we you know as we speak. Are you were you writing at all in this in this stage? Not even a little bit. No. Did, did, no. Didn't even think about that. You know, I thought about. I had some ideas and things. I don't think I. Uh, first of all, I have no ability to sit down and do anything. Like the fact that I'm sitting here right now is just like out of guilt more than anything else. Like we talked for like months, and and I was like, "Fuck, I, okay, I got to do it. I got to do it. I got to do it." If you need to flip the chair over and walk out at some point, I just, just come will. back. I've just got come. a lot of problems. <laughs> I'm a mess. Oh boy, I can't wait to get to those. Oh, oh, yeah. That'll be hour two. <laughs> um, no, I I just didn't have the I don't I didn't have the, the discipline to sit down and say, okay, I'm going to start on page one and, and work my way through page you know 100 or 90 or whatever it was. Is that why? And and again, we'll go back to chronological in a second. Is that why you have a part writing partner? Oh, absolutely. Is is Brett the disciplinarian? Yeah, in a big the way. Stru- because it, it usually is. There's a structure guy, and then there's a guy that's bouncing off the walls and, that's the and way playing with toys. And, and... 100%. Okay, like, I got he, it. Yeah. He's sort of like – because I also don't speak – when I'm working, I don't really speak in complete sentences. Like my thoughts – So really, he's a translator as well. He does. Like he yeah. has to. Like I speak emotions. I speak like theories. I speak like just sort of clicks and beeps, and he takes them and, <laughs> and distills them down into <laughs> ideas that make sense. So so he had, so you guys have the second language thing. He knows where you're trying to go, and he can turn it into something. Yeah, and conversely, I, I – probably take his ideas and loosen them up and mess them up a little bit yeah, so it's, yeah. a, it's a good it's a good that's perfect yeah. that's that's what it should be yeah um so uh, why four colleges why dropping out where'd you go where were they so i started was it theater program yeah yeah, yeah. i started at cal state northridge well i should say i applied so you know at the end of your what junior year i guess you start thinking about where you're gonna go and i was yeah. like well, there's only three school. There's only two schools I, I'm going to go to, and I'm going to apply at both of them, and I'll probably get into one of them. Uh, one was the Royal Academy of Dramatic Arts in London, oh, and wow. the other one was the London School of Theater. So the chances of getting wow, into- that's some pretty lofty goals, right? Yeah, there. Yeah, I was my real kid fired up. My kid who went to theater school applied to 14 schools. Yeah, I'm a shit heel. I told no, no, you. no. <laughs> this is what we did when we were. I mean, you and I aren't exactly <clears throat> the same age, but but I applied to three. 
That's all you thought about. Yeah, but most people don't just apply to places that the Queen has said this is the best school in the world. That's true. That's like, true. That's it's folly. Like it's just folly. So so I applied there, and like now here, here's the worst part of that. So my mom, you know, we weren't rich people, but my parents supported this. They were like, okay, this is what he wants to do. We're gonna we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna support this. The auditions were in uh, New York, so. I my mom and I flew to New York and they had me do a period monologue, which means you know a Shakespearean monologue yeah, essentially. Yeah. We just finished doing, I think, because we did so at the school we would do like the weird experimental play in the spring. I'm sorry, in the in the fall and the spring we do Shakespeare. So I just finished Twelfth Night. So you ha- so you had it. I in had your back my Shakespeare pocket. locked up. Yeah. Here's the thing about me that 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 filters in with the um the uh, inability to concentrate. I didn't bother to memorize my lines for the Shakespearean play. I sort of just improvised and muddled when my way When you did through. the play? Yeah. <laughs> I thought I was better than the material. I thought the material was really beneath me. Yeah, well, that guy. That guy's a fucking hack. He's kind of a hack. He's the wor- So I go to London. I'm sorry, I go to New York and I And nobody called you on it? Well, here's, here's, the, here's the kicker. Okay. So I go in and I, I'm, I'm uh, auditioning. I, I, you know, I, I do my monologue. I um. I get up there. It's the, this Malvolio monologue from Twelfth Night, and I'm 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 really in it, and I'm performing the shit out of it as best as I can. And it ends, and they sort of they, there's a silence, and they go, um, "Thank you, Mr. Finkel. Thank you for um, thank you for that. That was wonderful. Tell me, what what what, what was that from?" And I said, Twelfth uh, Night. And there was a long pause, and the, and the gentleman, God love him, goes, um, "No, it wasn't. <laughs> it was not." <laughs> And then I, that was kind of the end of it. And I realized I totally shit the bed. And by that point, I had I had nowhere to uh, apply to. So I ended up at Cal State Northridge. And for the for the love of God, they accepted me. And I still fucked that up. Because <laughs> I think I failed like every class. I remember failing like karate. I remember fa- like I failed. I was were just, you going? Were you not going? Nah, nah. I wasn't going. I was doing the plays. Like I did a lot of like the stuff I like. I was doing a lot of Beckett right. and Brecht right. and like the, the stuff I really love. Uh, but the class part of it, I didn't. I the didn't actually love it. attending that, yeah, yeah. And I was on the sort of the shit list, whatever they call the dean, not whatever the opposite of the dean's list is. I was on that one. <laughs> I think I was on probation by the first semester, and then I was out by the end of the second year. Uh, I just dropped out. So, and what were the other schools? So I went. To, so I went to Pierce College after that, which is in Woodland Hills. Right. I went my first day to I think probably a math and a guitar class and then the next day I couldn't find a parking space so I never went back. Uh I f- <laughs> Yeah, no, this isn't this is not great. This isn't great. This is the uh you know, I hope that young aspiring television writers are listening to <laughs> is are using this as their blueprint. Please use this as 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 the the path to success because <laughs> yeah. I really I figured it out, y'all. Um I so I guess those are the only two schools I went to here and then after I bummed around here for a while, I got into a production of um I did the 20th anniversary production of Hair uh out out here that they did in 89 and my best friend had been in the show and when she was done, she moved to New York together and and when and I was still kicking around bumming around in here and just, you know, fucking off and she called me one day and she's like you're you're fucking your life up get get out here so i came and i visited nyu and then the next fall i i, I had applied and, and got in so i i went there for about a year and a half two years and then went there longer than that i don't i, I don't know exactly how long i went there <laughs> but i dropped out of there too so continued success thank you <laughs> did you you seem like you'd be a new york guy though did you like it i fucking love new york do you oh my god 
when we moved back, it, it was it, it just it, there's something about that city. I feel like everyone should do time there. It's so different now than it was when I would like I moved to the East Village like not too long after the Tompkins Square riot. So it was like it was. It, yeah, there was there was, was not, not much Disneyfication of. No. Uh, I mean, it was just starting, maybe. No, like, not, even not even starting. It was rough. Yeah. And yeah. I remember I was there when the Rodney King riots, uh, um you know, lit this this city on fire, Los Angeles, and 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 L- and New York had sort of like gone there too. I was standing on the roof of my uh, apartment, watching things like being like riots begin wow. and police, you know, phalanxes walking down. Uh, First Avenue, and it was it was a uh, it was an interesting time, but like it was so exciting, like you never knew what you were gonna like you were gonna see somebody like the love of your life when you walk out the door in the moon uh, in the right. morning or a dead junkie, like you just never knew. And it, it, was, it is like a it is like a movie set come to life in the best and worst ways possible because oh yeah. it can be the most magical, amazing place, and then you you can I mean I think it still has that element. My son's there; he's gone; he's run the gauntlet in mm. his first year there. You know, coming out of acting school, yeah. So he's had. The three months of bed bugs that he didn't tell us about, sure. and he had, didn't sleep for like you know that entire time. That's a thing. You yeah. know, three people crammed into what should be a closet yeah. on the Upper East Side. I mean, if you don't have money, it's still it's it's still rough. People, I yeah. mean, when I moved back there, the in, shitty job that he hated going to every day, but horrible. had to. I don't know how anyone, even if you're rich, lives in the city. Like <laughs> it's you have to be like you don't have to be, you can't be like a little rich. You have to be like balls out. Yeah, fuck you, money. I have nine boats and I crash them into each other for fun. Like you. <laughs> need money yeah. to live there. You now. have to basically build yourself a compound up on some high floor in some building oh, that you never really have to leave except to go do the thing that pays you all that money. It's 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 shocking how how no. expensive. And like whatever. We well I'm sure we'll get into it. It's just it, I, beyond that there is something about living in a world where everybody is you know Los Angeles people live in bubbles and there is no city of Los Angeles. It's it's no. a, it's a chain of sort of you know suburbs and new york is like you're forced to live with people of every color creed and and you know uh, belief system and deal with them every day every day yeah and and there's something and i my experience in new york was always like yeah people can get along people can do this yeah um and yeah i think it was important to live there for me anyways to sort of like cut my teeth and find find my footing so that i can move back here and like figure out my life here so when you came back here um you're still doing the acting stuff when when did you hook up with Brett? When did that happen? Had you already so, known him? Uh, no. So you should listen to the Garmin the Garmin uh, uh, podcast because uh, it sort of walks the same the same line. So I was dating a girl, uh, and I really had nothing. So I, I, I think I was working on my first gigs out here uh, in the business. Was I was an assistant to somebody? I won't I won't mention the name because it's too haunting. Uh, but then after soon after that, I went to go work at Jim Henson. Wait a minute. Haunting in what way? Oh, boy. Is it is it the, the what's the, um, swimming with sharks thing? Is it, was it just It was miserable? a bad scene, yeah. yeah. It, was bad. it was a real bad scene. It was so bad that, like, this guy had gone through so many assistants, and I can tell you who it is off the air. Okay. But, um, but, but uh, after, uh, uh, it was so bad that he lost so many assistants through a variety of reasons that um, every time I go to complain to them, they double my they double my my pay. So by the time I was done, I was like nineteen or twenty years old. I think I was making like like two thousand dollars a week. Like I I was a I was a pimp. I had so much money because this guy was such a colossal asshole. The, the stories are amazing, but but like 
I think I should probably be going to therapy for them because they were just terrible. Oh no! But that ended, and I went to work for um, for for Henson's Creature Shop. Um, oh, yeah, dude, that's crazy. So we did the Flintstones movie. Uh, I started their their L.A. office. What were you doing? I was helping build puppets. Like I was doing, we were doing building all the animatronics. All these guys from Great Britain would come out here, and they they they. We would just build puppets. That seems all day again. Night. That seems like perfect thing for Finkel. Unbelievable. Fankel. Yeah. I mean, to- like 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 walking into a little magical you know, like toy shop and and, it was, and magical things happen. So amazing. And these guys are like still my best friends to this day. Um, <clears throat> uh, they like we would paint, be painting and 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 sculpting and and you know putting together mechanics all night, getting like just fucking annihilate stoned as stone can be and then going into the spray booth and spraying like i have never well, that just ha- confirms rumors about what inspired oh, some of the creatures it's n- i mean the stuff that went down there is epic like building shit until four in the morning but just annihilated and it was a like the most fun i've ever had i mean that being said that the sort of story that i tell about that is like I, in the middle of production we would have would have some trouble with the dino suit uh and head because it wasn't given the performance they want and one night we all went to um, this is odd telling this because it's sort of like what's happening in television now, which I'm sure we'll get to later. But I, I, in the middle of seeing, we, we all went to see Jurassic Park and we were all really high, like incredibly stoned. There were like 15 or 20 of us and we saw Jurassic Park, which was the first CGI movie. And as you watch the movie, I looked down the aisle and I watched 15 British, you know, puppet animatronic folk just their faces dropping, going like, my career is oh, over. Oh, shit, yeah. They're watching their whole lives change. Fall apart. Yeah. And literally a week and a half later, there was no more puppets on the movie. I mean, we used them as, as references, but then everything was CGI. Like a week and a half. It was that quick. In, Everyone in went home. mid-production. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, it was a trip. But again, like the most amazing time, and the guys were just unreal, and they sort of like, oh, again, open your eyes to like, wow, okay, there's possible, there's other ways around. You don't have to be going straight at being an actor. There's this angle there's you know how long were you with henson i think i did two years there and when the british guys moved out the the these other guys moved in and they didn't they didn't have the same work ethic as the british guy i was totally in tune with the british guys the uh the new york guys came in and it was just not not a fit so we we parted ways and I sort of like just, this is, figure- but this is a cool kind of little hodgepodge of influences here of mm-hmm. things that I mean because you're obviously still trying to kind of find your path. And, oh yeah, and you are acting or or doing auditions or anything. In I'm the, not. In- I'm not at the time because right that at that moment I was shooting this movie. I was you know twenty something years old and I I'd seen an I'd seen Lisa Cushell and our and Bob Cushell uh, and a couple other friends at Acme. I went to go just see their show and I was like, this is something I could probably do. Um, and I, I remember sitting on set. I had bought with the money I'd made from the first jackass that I'd you know made all this money from. Right. I saved up and I bought the first uh, Apple laptop, which I think was a. an you know, it was very fancy. It was like four thousand dollars. How much I, did it weigh? Oh, it was like it was like carrying a Volkswagen Beetle around with you <laughs> at all times. Like the bag had like this reinforced. It was ridiculous. But I remember sitting on set at like two in the morning and just sort of hammering out my first sketch that I still think to this day is like the best thing I've ever written because I didn't know what I was doing. Was that the first thing you've kind of consciously wrote as a mm-hmm. piece of work? Really? I think so. Because most of the stuff I'd performed at that point was stuff that I'd sort of improvised and then would construct off the improvisation. Right, right. So this one was like the first thing I'd actually written. It was like a parody of a, of a British uh, 
like a Playhouse 90 sort of thing. Right. It was called uh, BBC Two. That was this insane play. Um, and it got me into the company. And then from that moment on, I was sort of like in, I was just in that world. And I, that's all I wanted to do was, was sketch because it was, it was able, I was able to do the, the weird experimental stuff that I loved, but it also had like the comic bent that was part of my existence. Right. So, um, yeah, I got to get that worked out on my system. And at that same time, I remember the, I'd already been in the company, I think. And this guy came in and he did a sketch. I, I hope I'm getting this right. He did a sketch. In which he dressed in drag as Heidi Fleiss. For those of you who are listening, may not remember Heidi Fleiss. She was the, the 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 prostitute. You know who she is. <laughs> Google it. Just yeah, you'll see pause it. the podcast. Go Google Heidi Fleiss. Whole mess of a lady. Be careful what you get image wise. It's and not then, great. Yeah. And imagine she was twenty years younger at the time. It was a whole. Th- Anyways, um, <laughs> he did a sketch where he dressed and drag as as uh, as Heidi Fleiss, and there was a guy trying to get it going with her. And it was this massive physical comedy tour de force where he was throwing himself against the wall, like he was playing a wasted Heidi Fleiss. And we both have the same reaction when we talk about it in hindsight. It's like I watch that guy. and I'm like, well, I can either compete with that guy or I can partner up. And we partnered because I also come from a, in addition to the physical, the, the, the experimental stuff I did, I was very into um, physical comedy and especially silent film. I've, lo- I've been a long fan, longtime fan of Buster Keaton um, and the Stooges. And like I, that was always a part of the stuff I was doing. And when I saw him, I was like, well, this, this guy's a, he's a monster. So yeah. we partnered up very quickly, like soon after that. Um, and did a bunch of stuff together, and it just worked. And it's worked. It's the longest relationship I've ever had. Wow. Yeah. That's great. Yeah, I mean, very and, lucky. And uh, <clears throat> again, I'm jumping out of order here, but the, I just have to bring up the Monkey Boys mm. uh, in the midst of this because the, the, that basically was you guys pitching something, obviously, now that you mention it, the old school oh, physical yeah. pratfall comedy. There's elements of the silent guys to three stooges in there oh yeah it's i mean as bald as it could be like it was it was specifically that thing and this was you and brett it was me and brett yeah, yeah this we... was one saturday morning right. uh, on abc abc yeah that was a block of programming uh and a guy who had come from pinky in the brain and yeah. animaniacs his name is peter hastings right and he we we did a bunch of pinky in the brains and animaniacs with him and he got he got poached by abc and he went over there and created this block and needed content and we pitched we had a we pitched a bunch of crap and one of the things we pitched was this was this uh this monkey boys thing which was like seven minute silent film because kids love silent film uh everybody <laughs> like kids to this day are you uh, kidding oh, all they can talk about is uh, the early laurel and hardy oh yeah, oh, yeah. And- my kids are at home right now watching birth of a nation but they call it the Klansmen, like a real affected, That's right. like, a, they give like a real it the fan. original title. <laughs> of course, of course. <laughs> um, so we, so we, you know, being the hold on, let's make let people go look up Birth of a Nation real quick. <laughs> All right, and they're back. See that guy's in blackface, but he's white. See, <laughs> that's not the joke. That's the drama. Anyway. <laughs> um, so he, so so we did this. Th- yeah, we pitched this idea, and we shot a. We actually shot a pilot on the Acme stage, the the La Brea show, uh, uh, theater. We we shot it in like high eight or something, whatever arcane media that was you know existed at that time, and uh, we edited it together. And for, through some fluke, they accepted it, and we we did twelve ups, thirteen episodes of that. Yeah, um, we did tw- thirteen episodes in five weeks, meaning we shot two episodes. 
we'd shoot two days per episode and then we'd, we with no break five weeks straight through which for a physical comedy thing will kill you that would, now I was going to say I mean good thing you were a little younger but that you guys I actually watched some tonight there is somebody who posted some high quality versions on Vimeo really yeah they're Vimeo uh, if you want to look up and go Google the Monkey Boys, there are at least three episodes there in nice, high quality. The the beauty contest one, <laughs> where the, where dressing and drag comes yep. back in full effect. Oh man. boy, lots of costume Somebody changes. Somebody just sent me some pictures of those, like not too, like a couple weeks ago. Our makeup, the makeup lady on the show, she just sent me some pictures of, that I haven't seen them in years. I was, I'm an ugly broad. Oh my lord. <laughs> I would I would beg to differ. Oh, look at the size of my beard. It's not great. <laughs> it's just it's not going to work guess out. If you're into that. Yeah. But but that's essentially the last time you really appeared on screen. No. No? Incorrect. There are um three other instances, two all all of which I can attribute to Tina Fey. I am in two episodes of 30 Rock. Oh, okay. As is Brett, we both are. Uh, and then now, wait a minute. I've watched every episode of Thirty Rock. I believe I'm the first or second person to say the words "rural juror." Uh, <laughs> there is a pop of Jane Krakowski on set of the first. It's in one of the first episodes uh, where she's talking about being on set of Rural Juror, and they go to location, and I'm the, I'm the, the the board op, the you know the the clapper guy, right? Uh, who says uh, Rural Juror, take one. What a weird. Na- I said something like what a, what a shitty name or something like that. Uh, and then I'm also. There was an episode that Brett and I wrote called Fireworks where um, Will Arnett came for the first time uh, and he pitched the 10-second sitcom. And right. uh, myself and Kay Cannon uh, are the stars of the 10-second sitcom called Making It Happen. I'm also in Baby Mama. I had no, I had lines. I had scenes. It was me and Jason Manzukis as, as a gay couple trying to adopt. And, uh, yeah, I'm in that. Too. So, but that was the last time I was on screen. I think. I, oh, oh no! I have a cameo in, in New Girl. You <laughs> as, do as a creepy guy uh, in season two. I just appear in a doorway at, a, at an Indian conven- Indian matchmaking convention <laughs> as like an Indian fetishist. <laughs> that was the last time, and probably the last time you will ever see me on TV. Oh come on! Eh, who needs to see this old baggage? <laughs> I don't know. You look like you could be some great com- character actor right now with this beard. <laughs> I like Fess Parker. <laughs> or Gabby. Yeah, but Gabby Hayes. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Prospector. They ever bring that back. <laughs> if they ever remake uh, The Treasure of Sierra Madre, you're in. <laughs> so so when you and Brett, at what point did you make the decision, you know, we need to be respectable people and actually kind of get jobs? Because uh, I don't know if you've listened to Ken Levine. Um, oh, right, yes. Uh, and... And he was, you know, disc jockey, middle of the night. Ken's done everything. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, wow, God, no kidding. Yeah. Talk about a renaissance Fuck man. Me. And good at everything he's done. It's, it's crazy. But he and his partner, David Isaacs, mm-hmm. they, you know, they didn't have the internet. Uh, they would sit and just kind of, they would record shows on the on a tape recorder and then just trying to kind of copy the structure yeah. of a sitcom. And it worked. So you guys are looking at a much more conventional form at some point mm-hmm. and go, this is what we're going to try and do. So what was your process like, the two of you? You know, uh, we we both were raised on TV. I was an only child and I, I watched at least like 100 hours of TV a week. And I mm-hmm. watched like, you know, I grew up with the greats. All in the family was still on TV when I grew up and still my favorite show on television and uh, yeah we got to see a real renaissance and and this from the silly goofy i mean i i still can't be a, i can't 
I have an affection, I guess, for it, but Beverly Hillbillies and, and some of that sure. stuff is just goofy. But when All in the Family came on, and then, you know, the, all the other Norman Lear stuff, and oh Maude, and I mean... The, the, we had the very good fortune, one of our... At the time Mary she, Tyler Moore, for crying out loud. Oh, and Mary Hartman, and, and, and oh, Fer, all the way through Fernwood. Like the, SNL. Oh, my God. I mean, so I had the good fortune, one of our... She was a writer's assistant, now a writer on, on New Girl. Her great-uncle is Norman Lear. So he came into the writer's room, and we sat there with him for an hour, and he just sort of talked about... You know that that time, that time, and when, when all the family was was you know in its in its infancy, and just what that was like, and how vastly different it is from you know from now. He was just like, I don't know, we just had like because it came from a British show, obviously, right? And just listening to him talk about that process, which was so vastly different, because it was just it was creating a, a genre, a whole cloth. So it's, it, I always tell people who are trying to come up is like, you, if you haven't watched. At least most of all in the family, you're not doing your job and you'll never make it. So for you, that's the template. Yeah. In any business, like you got to know where it comes from. Yeah. And as far as I'm concerned, like you, you should know all in the family, like the back of your hand. You should know Mary Tyler Moore. You should know second. You should know, you should know SNL and SCTV. You should know, you know, everything through Sanders. Like you should, you should know all those things. You and. You need those tools. Like you need to know the history, and that's it's a, a rich. You should know your. Sh- if you don't know your show of shows, then then fuck you. <laughs> like if you don't know that in some way, because yeah, that's where yeah. it all starts. Absolutely. Um, and I'm a firm believer in like maintaining that history and the way I'm as passionate about that as I am about about silent film. Like it's a very important part of our culture. And and yeah, I, th- I don't think if you know, I mean, it, it's hard to have a perspective. We have the advantage of seeing that. At the time it mm-hmm. came out, and that makes a huge difference. Oh, yeah. and, I, and I remember, t- you know, sh- like you with your kids, showing my son some of these early films to say, j- even the little preamble I had to give, you have to keep in mind, at the time, no one had done nothing this. like this had ever been seen, and yeah. here's why. And then it helps him have perspective, and but then he can also recognize that it's just good. I mean, it's yeah. good is good. Well, I mean, that show, the f- your show of show stuff, the, the This Is Your Life parody, the physical nature of that thing is... Still makes. I mean, I weep watching that. Just it's, those guys were amazing. And you think about okay, the cast aside, because you got you got Caesar and you got Imogen Coca and Carl you got Reiner. Carl Reiner and 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 Pat Howard Harrington Morris. and Harold Morris. Then you got this fucking staff that that has never been the, the, the yeah. parallel has never been seen before. Starting, I mean, Woody Allen and 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 Neil Simon and Danny Simon. I mean, it's Mel Brooks. Mel Brooks. It's the most intense thing you've ever seen. And all those people went on to do, like, the greatest things of the 20th century. Yeah. So I, I think it's an important watershed moment that can't be overlooked. Like, people should know that. People should know Ernie Kovacs. Like, the, people oh, should gosh. know these things. Oh. Even if they can't, like, contextualize them as funny, they should at least know them from a comic standpoint, like, from a, from a historical, you know, concept of, like, this is why this is important. This is the moment that people went from just watching, you know, um, Amos and Andy to something that meant something, right? Right. Um, or was Kovacs poking. in particular, because I think as a as a visual stylist in comedy, I, I don't think anybody's done anything like that since. Yeah. I mean, that, that that wasn't just innovative. That was that's almost unique. Yeah, maybe. I mean, you could probably hang 
like Pee Wee's Playhouse, maybe in that in that yeah. vein. Maybe some of the the Gary Shandling show a little bit, like things that that played with the vent, the, the medium a little bit. Right. Um, the young ones, probably some some of that kind of stuff that just sort of fuck with the the. Yeah, but of, just but just physical nature of stuff of just images of just yeah, yeah. objects in a room as being set to music and how that becomes funny. How yeah. three guys in a in a monkey in, ma- in yeah. monkey masks. Yep. Hitting each other on the head in time to music. Jack Lemmon and uh, is Tony fucking... Curtis. <laughs> it was <laughs> <laughs> fucking hysterical. Mm-hmm. Um, oh man, I could talk about that kind yeah, of stuff. Yeah, we could keep night. going. But but I, I don't remember the original question. I, I have to say, um, well, I, I was kind of getting to the kind of the things that influenced you, what you watched as a kid, and then how that translated into you and Brett saying, sitting down and going, "We're going to start writing sitcoms now. We're going to try and get a job somewhere." Yeah, we. Um, it was definitely that. I mean, we definitely met on the, the the battleground of like we both adhered strongly to the, especially Norman Lear's, and it was a real sort of important day when he came in the writers' room because it felt like it came full circle for both of us. Where he was the first guy who could kill you with like the greatest joke you've ever heard, and it was the darkest, like most racist thing, and it was unbelievably profound but then the next week you can have an episode where transgendered beverly lasalle is killed or edith gets cancer or edith is almost raped like those, right, right. these profound things where it's like oh there's no laugh here there's not a single laugh here and it's still it, it leaves you wanting it's it goes back to the same thing i was talking about before about like it should be more than just entertainment it, right. should, it should have a lasting impression and those shows did, were important because they showed you that there was something other than we're not just eating dinner watching a show. We're, we're being affected. And, and I, I sort of like – I still – that's still the way I tend to work. So the, so you guys had to make the decision at some point as opposed to being performers because you could have been the let's go try to do Saturday Night Live and yeah. let's go try and kind of follow that route or it's the other way, which is what you're talking about. Was, no, let's, let's kind of create something that's ours. Yeah. And that, I mean, is that a, was that a conscious decision? Did you try and shotgun a bunch of different things? I mean, the out simplest there? thing about it is that Brett had just had a son. He had his son Buster uh, right around that right around that time, and we needed to earn a living. Yeah. And we had an opportunity through Peter Hastings, who Brett Brett's wife came out of the Groundlings, and Brett Brett was actually in the Groundlings for a while, and we knew Peter, um, you know, his friends, and they were and they were trying to they were looking for new writers on Animaniacs and. Um, Pinky in the brain. We went in and pitched a bunch of shit, and we he he like for whatever reason he signed us up, and uh, we wrote a dozen episodes of that, and and it, that's sort of what started it. And those are again great venues for you. I mean, you found yeah. the right fit because totally. those were like irreverent, anarchic for their form. You could, especially with animation, but but also in terms of the the humor, it was. It's the, the freest it's ever been. Yeah. I mean, it... That was the first time in a long time that kids' animation had been that sophisticated. Too. Yeah. The, the the maxim over there was sort of like work on two levels, which is like, it'll look it'll look like a cartoon, it'll look like it's to the kids, and by and large it is. But Brett and I... <laughs> Brett and I... The stuff we wrote was, we did, we did a, a parody of Billy Jack, which kids love. <laughs> kids love... Again, <laughs> we could pause for a moment while you guys go check your YouTubes. Yep. This is going to be the longest listening process for anybody under the age of 30. Oh, we'll, we'll give you notes at the end. And you can you know, look up Tom Laughlin and, 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 and Tom Billy Bob, Jack. Billy Jack, oh. which is still one of my favorite movies of all time. It's, it's a train wreck, but oh, it's no. super enjoyable. And everybody – I mean – I, did, I couldn't see that when I was when it came first came out. I remember it coming out because everybody yeah. was talking about it. I was too young to see it, uh, <laughs> it, which is ridiculous. And 
Anyway, go ahead. Yeah. No, we we we, we, did, we did a that. Billy Jack. We did parody. a Billy Jack parody. We did a <laughs> we did a Brian song parody. <laughs> <laughs> because what's funnier than seeing two mice talk about alluding to cancer? I mean, it's it's. I mean, ki- again, kids lo- love cancer. Kids love cancer. They love Brian Piccolo. That is the subtitle of this episode. <laughs> and um, so we we got our ability, like the ability to do jokes that were off the beaten path, or yeah. just like parody shit that we loved. In a right. very sort of, it was probably more along the lines of like what like our vision of what Second City was like, you know, SCTV, which I think we both. You know, consider the vaunt, like the the mm. bastard, the, the the sort of renegade, you know, show of the ages. It just it, it the stuff they got they got away with is insane, um, and we just wanted to do that kind of stuff that was just a little outside uh, outside the box and still main you know still get a paycheck and it was fun. Right. Um. The first thing we ever wrote was was all about Ernest Hemingway. Like it was it was Animaniacs about Ernest Hemingway. So it was just like a little literary, a little a little a little esoteric. But you know th- this one's for me. I'm doing this one for me. I don't give a shit. They're still fucking mice. The fuck do I care? <laughs> and, there's, and, and the dumb one's still going to be dumb. Exactly. So, so the, the other one's going to be like Orson Welles. And at the end of the day, it's it's fine. It's fun. It's good, clean family fun. So when did you make the transition to traditional sitcom? We so at the the end of the first season of the Monkey Boys, uh, we were talking to Peter and Peter Hastings, and we, you know, I think we felt like we'd sort of not outgrown it, but but like we always wanted to be in prime time. And the Monkey Boys wasn't the hit that that, that it is now. Uh, <laughs> yeah, the three videos on Vimeo ooh, with twenty seven so, views. I'm sitting on a pile of money bigger than my dad's. My dad's saddle money, Monkey Boys money. Son, I'm buying a fucking boat and I'm running. <laughs> um, so we, yeah, he the we, Monkey Boys jet. <laughs> so we didn't pick it up for the the second season. We'd written them all, and then we were, and then I think we all sort of were like, yeah, this is really expensive and it doesn't make any sense. So we were under a deal over there, and they had to pay us. And we we sat for six months and wrote that Sanders spec I talked about, and it sort of, I think it it cracked the doors open in a big way. Uh, we got a, a really good agent out of it, who we've been with ever since. I'm still fucking stepping on my wires over here. I think. Can you hear me? Oh yeah. Okay, good. Can you hear yourself? I can. All right. All right. <laughs> I'm very technically savvy. You're very close to flipping that chair over and walking out now. <laughs> Just the mic rad. Goddamn headphone cord. <laughs> um, uh, and we, so we wrote the spec and uh, ended up on, uh, we had a couple meetings and ended up on, uh, our first show was Norm, starring Norm McDonald. Oh, yeah. And uh, yeah, that was a so profound was, experience. So profound? Yeah, because it was it, writing jokes on a, I mean, Norm is like arguably one of the funniest people, I mean, ever ever put on the planet. He'd just been fired from SNL. Right. Uh for his uh bashing of OJ. And uh <clears throat> he had this yeah, he had this show where it was like it, okay, the the bottom line here is Norm's jokes have to be Norm's jokes. Yeah. And I, we would Brett and I and this other great these two different writers, uh Frank Sebastiano and, and um Cheryl Holiday, we'd be set off with them for, with the two of them, one or the other, and we'd just be writing jokes all day long, just Norm jokes, which was Amazing, and also the people that that were on staff with us, they'd all run shows before, so it was like college for us. Like, um, yeah, because this is your first staff. This is a staff writing job, mm-hmm. right? So exactly. you're starting at the bottom. Yep. And 
So, yeah, you, you're getting an education. Yeah, out and it was this. people who'd run Roseanne. It was people who'd run – I mean, they, they'd run everything across the board. They'd all been on Murphy Brown or – like, they'd all worked on these different different shows that we loved. So we were very happy to sit back and just sort of listen. And, like, people like Jerry Belson were in the room with us who was, you know, partners with Gary Marshall who – Again, go to your internet and, and check out Belson and Marshall. They created The Odd Couple, and then you have to look that up and blah, blah, blah. Um, um, now, they might have picked up something when they looked up Neil Simon about 10 minutes maybe, ago. Maybe, maybe. All right, okay. Um, and then uh, and Sam Simon was was in the room with us, who who many people know from The Simpsons. Simpsons, and, right. But we loved him from Taxi. He was a young gun on Taxi. Wow, so you've got some, so you've got some veterans in there. Oh, yeah, it was crazy. From some of the things that you absolutely loved. Yeah. So is like, that so? There's your school. There's your college. You don't drop out of. Yeah, right. Definitely. And we did two years there, and it was like still the most. I mean, it honed our skills as joke writers, and like made us understand structure a little. You know, quite and a bit it better. was also that show. I liked that show, and it was again a venue that it wasn't a typical sitcom. No. It had the irreverent, edgy element that that is in your wheelhouse. Yep. Now, just shoot me, which you guys ended up on. Probably more conventional, though, right? I mean, did it feel that way? <laughs> it was, but we... Did, did you have a good experience on that? Oh, yeah, yeah. I was there yeah. for two years. And, you know, the show still had some... Like, look, their second episode was about tripping on LSD. Uh, they had a character named Slow Donnie who faked being mentally disa- disabled. I mean... <laughs> yeah, you're right. It you're had, right. It, I mean, its progeny was probably like news radio, which was, you know, which was far more weird than, than our show was. But we did some bizarre stuff. Like, we really tried to, like like get outside the box and and that cast is again with spade and totally yeah. and uh george and 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 i mean all it was just a great a great experience across the board so how did uh what what, what came after that oh boy what came at after what, that? At oh. what, did, did at what point did you feel like you wanted to be at a neck at the next level in terms of responsibility though or, did, or does that just kind of happen does that get thrust I upon you I'd always once with some success something. yeah well, i mean you always want to create something and do something that sounds that, that that's of your own voice i think we were also cognizant of the fact that we had a ways to go to learn like we needed some we just needed stuff we needed the the musculature to get where we needed to go i mean we always we always had i have to speak like we like i'm letterman or something um we meaning me and brett always knew that we wanted to run our show and create our own stuff but we know knew that there was a ways to go to, uh, before getting there so from there we went to a show called happy family with lara Kett and um christine baranski oh, which right, was right. a great show and probably should have still been on like it shouldn't have gotten canceled after the first season it was a really good show um i can say that objectively too because i i remember it was one of the few shows that i've worked on that i actually watched um so i mean that was a, that's a big deal I, I you know when you're when you're in a room for for 16 hours a day and you actually want to go home and see the show it's it's kind of a cool thing hey, so what how do you deal with something like that when you know you've Put a lot of effort into something, and you feel like it's really quality, and nobody else recognizes that, and it goes away. I mean, is there do you is there a Finkel spinning off into it? Quite honestly, it would be hard to tell if you were spinning off into a, a dark place. <laughs> I'm always just spinning off into the dark place. Yeah. Like I, I start there. Um, <laughs> is there a darker, spinnier place? Oh yeah, really? So dark. That scares yeah, me. Yeah, no, it's uh, we'll get there. <laughs> we're, we're on our way. Um, we uh, we. <laughs> You know, you, meaning we're going to talk about it, or meaning you're on the path right now? Yeah, both. Oh, you're in the process yeah. of break. That's where the beard comes. I'm going to break down, and we will. I will be sobbing and masturbating by the end of this thing. Oh God, thank you. And I'll force you to like keep your eyes locked on mine. It's the only way I can do it. Just want to make sure my phone is ready. So I, <laughs> I got a, I got a selfie that shit. So much crying and 
<laughs> furious. Like I, I locked masturbating. Um, oh no! Yeah, that's the only way I roll, baby. Um, <laughs> While you're crying, you have to. I will demand you watch me. Like not watch. You have to look into my eyes. I'll Do I, as long as I don't have to masturbate, I think I'm still in. No, no, no. You, okay, no, good. No, I All would. Right. If you did, I'd be really pissed off. <laughs> and then it gets violent. <laughs> um. <laughs> So the, the answer your here's, the, here's the other problem. I I forgot that on Sundays they have no air conditioning in here. So we're talking about this. I'm laughing really hard, and I'm really warm. It's right quite now. warm, yeah. but it's all right. All right, uh, my pants will be off in the next <laughs> hour. How much time do we have? Uh, we we should be wrapping up soon, but I'm having too really? much fun. Yeah. Okay, cool. We've been going an hour. Holy shit! All right, yeah. we'll speed through this. So yeah, you when you when yeah the sh- least important stuff like Thirty Rock. And, yeah, right. And and the show you're on now. Uh, we'll get there. Um, right. So yeah, when you you'll edit this down, it'll be it'll be fine. <laughs> no, I'm leaving it all in. Wow. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, when a show gets canceled, I think because you're conditioned to know that it could go away at any time. I, I are think, you really? I think so. Yeah. I think you feel like any unless you're on like a Friends or something like that where you're. You know, you know it's a thing, and it's going to go on for years and whatever. It's just the nature of TV because you have you have as much as you are the people creating it. You have so no control, zero. Yeah, you you are so at the mercy. of And a that's something you have to give up early on, right? Oh yeah. I mean, you probably have this the, the nature of wanting to be protective of this thing that you kind of nurture along. You put a lot of effort into. Yeah. Writers' rooms are not easy places. No, it's brutal. I read something online about you know you're talking about you know working around the clock for 48 hours to do a rewrite on something. I mean, people think that it's it's fun and games in there. There's probably a lot of laughing, but there's just... There's, it, there's different forms the, of laughter. There's, like, <laughs> laughter, and then there's that desperation, gallows laughter where you're just like looking at each other going, like, what the fuck are we doing? Like, what's happening? We're just making TV. We're not, like, solving any problems. Uh, so, yeah, there's there's that part of it where it just sort of, like, it feels like an exercise in futility, but, like, you, it's, it's at the end of the day, it's fun, but it's just, it's a, it's a grind sometimes, especially when you, when you, when you feel it's going down. Yeah, but you um, have, so, but, but you do have to give up the control of, of, once you put it out there, you got no, you got nothing, you got n- absolutely no, no impact. No, you just cast off. Yeah. Um, I think we came out of there and got a deal, which was fortunate. We ended up doing a show called Center of the Universe with John Goodman that lasted, I think, 12 episodes or 14 episodes. Greatest cast ever with John Goodman, Gene Smart, Ed Asner, um, Diedrich Bader, Olympia Dukakis. I mean, it was a great show. They just wanted their Roseanne, but from the from the guy's perspective, and it just didn't it didn't work. And yeah. John wasn't super healthy at that point, and it just it it was rough. Um, and then from there to Joey. <laughs> Yeah. No, see. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Don't look that up. No, go ahead. You know what it is. No, look up the pilot so you, we can see our friend Jason Huber in Jason. the very first scene. First frame. Of, first frame yes, of that show. Of Joey. I, I liked Joey. You know what we figured I, out about Joey? I liked it. It wasn't. It was a good show. I mean, it, it was what it was. The problem with it was is that it had one... He he was the star of the show, and he had to be the A story, B story, and C story of that show. He had to be filtered in all those things because I, I I hope that the people in the cast are, are not listening to this. They they probably won't, but but they they he needed to sort of buttress them, and because he was the funniest guy in the show, and so we learned very quickly that he needed to be in all these places. So if you've got an incredibly sad story over here, he suddenly got to go eat a pie over there, oh, yeah. and it was hard to make that bridge. But met some of the greatest people. You know, working in television today. I mean, one Rob Carlock was was over there, who went on to run Thirty Rock, and Matt Hubbard, who who won a ton of awards for Thirty Rock and did Parks and Rec up until a couple of weeks ago. Um, but you do have to get. I mean, look, you've had huge hits. You've been a part of huge hits, and you've had some stuff that 
people disparage and and goes away and and are it could be considered failures. That's life. You have to have that thick skin about that. Yeah, you definitely do. And it, like, it was years until I finally was able to have a conversation with them, and I didn't hear the words. Oh yeah, no, I don't watch a lot of TV. It wasn't until New Girl, really. Like Thirty Rock. When I was, I did one season of Thirty Rock, and it was nothing at that point. Like it, we won the Emmy that year, but like people weren't watching it. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so like people go, yeah, I heard about that, but I'm. I like that Aaron Sorkin Studio 60 show better that's on your same network, which makes no sense. Um, <laughs> which, which did not last very long. Oh, but it was a glorious flame out. It was the greatest show on television. I so thoroughly enjoyed Watching that show with Tina in, the, in its premiere was one of the pinnacles of my, of my existence. It was so bizarre to me, and, and especially for me, because like the week that both those shows were greenlit, yeah. I can't, oh. oop, can't hear oh, myself. The, those, both those shows were greenlit in the same week, I think. I uh, mean, in terms of, well, announced. Something anyway. like that, yeah. yeah. And with essentially the same premise. Mm-hmm. Um, one, one a 60 minute and one a 30 minute. Right. 60 in, Studio right. 60 and, and 30 with, Rock. With these big names attached. Oh, yeah. Now, I, now, personally, like two weeks, well, a week before that, I had shot my own kind of TV pitch. With that exact same oh, really? premise, yes. Holy shit! With Burn off it, oh, one right, of your right. very good friends yes. as the lead. Jason Huber was the other lead. Wow. I got Gary Kroger to play like a Lorne Michaels. Lisa oh. Arch is in it. Oh, uh, all these people, and it, I mean, it's it's <laughs> it's a little homemade thing. But the, and then I get this email from somebody going, "Hey, this sounds similar." And there's two shows coming out. Yeah, yeah. That you can also look up on YouTube. It's called uh, Live by Friday. Oh, I got to see called. that. I, I had no idea. Uh, yeah, Burns great. Jason's great. That's tremendous. It. Jason's like a Belushi character, That's and awesome. you get to see him in his underwear. Wearing an Indian headdress, full chief Indian that. headdress. I've seen that in my home. Oh, that's right. Yeah. All right, never mind. <laughs> um, so anyway, so but you get you get connected to Thirty Rock now. Of course, obviously, that's the one that 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 takes hold and kicks oh, yeah. in. Yeah, and yeah. you're a part of, and you're a part of it as like you say, nobody's watching it. Yeah, for, we were there from from right after. I mean, we re- reshot the pilot because originally Dratch was the the Jenna Malone right, right. part, um, and we recast her with uh, with um, Jane Jane Kirkhouse and. Uh, yeah, and and it was like it was the most insane experience because we were we were like working around the clock. We'd be at Tina's. Tina would be shooting all day, and then we'd go back to her apartment and we'd write all night. We literally like how hands on. I mean, she was really hands on, insanely. Yeah, yeah. I mean, easily the smartest person, male right? or female, right? I've ever known. Yeah, and and her ability to sort of like ferret out the joke and also the story. It, it's it's insane. But again, the perfect venue for you and Brett. Because it is this absurd universe. Oh this, yeah, this is a this is a workplace comedy, and none of these people, these are all insane people. Yeah, I mean, in the best way possible. Writing for, tri- I mean, uh, there was a moment when Brett and I we wrote we wrote the f- I think it was in the fireworks episode that um, there was a whole story about Tracy finding out that he might be part white. Oh, and the Thomas Jefferson Thomas connection. Jefferson yeah, connection, yeah, actually, Tina gives you a shout out in Bossy Pants about this. Oh, right, right, yeah, yeah, yeah which yeah. was a, very cool. But um, we we went to um, shoot on the Maury set, the Maury Maury Povich set right. with his audience, which was harrowing. And then you're walking around with Alec in a <laughs> Thomas Jefferson outfit and Tracy George, Tracy Morgan, like, and there's no one, no one's questioning it. It's all just sort of happening, and it's it's you know it's in the moment. And yeah. Brett and I look at each other going. Like, what the fuck is happening? This is the weirdest experience ever. And he's saying our words of like, I, I, it is I who invented America. 
<laughs> I, Thomas Jefferson, who invented America. Yeah. I mean, there's some some. I mean, that show is is insane. It's, it's bonkers. So good. Yeah. I still watch. I can watch that as a fan again, objectively, and say yeah. like, this is this is the other world. This is. I mean, this is just yeah. amazing. Yeah. Um, I have a feeling it's going to be like that kind of. For the next generation, it's going to be that Mary Tyler Moore, sure. Dick Van Dyke show kind oh, yeah. of thing. Um, so now let's get to New Girl now, okay. uh, which is such a good show. Thank you. Um, and and again, these none of these characters are are are, are tethered to reality at all. Right. And, and again, the best way possible. We tr- that's the thing I think we try and do every day is like try and figure out how do we make it tethered to reality? Like, cause we're always asking, is it real? And then how do we blow that up in a way and twist it on itself to make right. it feel like it's something, you know, that we're, we're pushing. We're well, pushing you kind of have to, because you can't create a sitcom that's in some bizarro place, right. really. You have to set it in in something that we can all respond to, sure. or relate to. You can't put it on a space station. They try. They, They've tried they it a billion that. times. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it never seems to take off. But but roommates and uh, you know love interests and all that stuff, uh, they they're standard, but but there's something we can grasp onto. Yeah, Liz, and that's when you get to go bananas. Yeah, because Liz Merriweather created the show. We'd worked with her years, a couple years before on a pilot that never went that was supposed to star um, Artie Lang. Um, and you can probably guess why that that never went forward. But, um, <laughs> I think he's talked about that. Has he? Yeah, I oh, think wow. he has. Yeah. It's amazing. He talks about the money he blew because uh, he got a development deal, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah he's talked about it. Uh, and uh, we, so, so we were friends from, from, that, from that standpoint and, and she... We'd just come off the United States of Terror, which is the first show that Brett and I ran that starred Tony Collette on Showtime. And um and she it was literally the last day of I think we were the last day we were there and she sent us her script and she's like, Well, what do you think? And we read it and loved it. And it was like it had such Liz has such a a foot in two worlds. She loves unabashedly loves the Sleepless in Seattle rom coms. Like with with no irony whatsoever, but also is a lunatic in terms of just like the oddball takes something like the most perverse, the mo- like just the the most absurd points of views on things. So when you put the two together, it's just it's delight. Like it's just so much fun to read. And that's that's the, well, I think you kind of encapsulated the freshness of what that show was about because it feels like, and unfortunately to your detriment as the showrunners and the writers, it. F- Feels like that show's almost improvised, and and yeah, I mean, yeah, and, I'll, and and I'm sure some of it. You had you have some good improvisers in there. I know Jake has. I've seen him at UCP, and I, oh, yeah. I know he has that. They all have that bone. And in them. Damon, and I mean, they. You know, we very early on got Jake Kazan on board, and Jake Kazan had had oh, been right. a part of Freaks and Geeks, and undeclared. And his whole his thing with Judd was write the script and make it as tight as you can. Then let the let the let the um the cast process it and then let them open it up and like throw jokes at him and and, and yell does, stuff at them. Does anybody else do that? I, that's that's I unusual. And because you, you have a number of people on there who can do that. Yeah. And now with with Wayans there, that adds another element. It's bedlam, and, and I think it got to the point where it was like it was more, like we were throwing them so much stuff that it was breaking their brains, and we're trying to figure out a way how to how to pull it back and still do what we love. Right. But they are like when it works, it's like it's mad. Like, no, you it's incredible. Never see that anywhere else. And it's exciting. Um, you know, it's it's hard to put the pieces together in post sometimes just because like there's so many like trajectories moving in the opposite right. direction. But it's I, I try I I sit there as as somebody who's always wanted to direct and I like to direct when I get the chance. And I 
it drives me crazy trying because I start to try and pick apart how the hell they shot the coverage on some of those scenes. It's crazy. It's like, you need nine cameras in in there just to be able to get everybody's reaction. Yeah, and, we and almost lay always, those over each other. And, it's really hard. It's all we've gotten to the point now, and I think we didn't learn this until after the first season, is we realized we needed to cross cover everything. Yeah, um, which is you know you got a camera on two people so that when they're opening it up, you've got both sides of it. Right. Um, because you can't ask somebody to like, oh, see that fart joke again. Like, exactly and, and the same way. Yeah, it's impossible. Yeah. So, and we have one of the best best editors known to mankind. This guy, Steve Welch, who just he just makes it seem seamless and effortless. That's the thing. Unless you really know how that works, it, you you don't realize how complicated that oh show must be. To tell me about. I want to wrap this up, Dave, because you have a life, sort of, and yeah, yeah. I think we're just to the point where maybe we can avoid the masturbation and crying. No, no. Oh, God damn it. <laughs> um, the, uh, <laughs> The funny thing is, the same things happened with like half of the people who've been really? on. Really? Yeah. Did, did Jim, it just never ended up on. Jim Wise, did he? Oh, yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. Jim and I did hair together, that production I was talking about, that 20 Really? Yeah. It yeah, because he has all that music in his background. We've seen I, each other dicks. I looked. <laughs> I'm sorry. Oh, you heard me. I looked square into his dick. I've seen it, and he looked at mine. Do you want to give a little background on that or just let that hang, there's, so to speak? There's a scene in hair where everyone comes oh, out okay. with, their, with their cocks out. <laughs> Or their their lady cocks. I don't know what those what the women have. You know what I'm talking about. The lady cock. The whatever. You know what I'm, the, the vagina? Really? That sounds disgusting. <laughs> is that what it's called? That is one of the terms for it. Hmm. It is the one of the more medical terms for it. You don't at, like I'm, it? I'm at a loss. All right. <laughs> All right, everybody stop. Google vagina. <laughs> uh no, yeah, so I know I, Jim and I have seen each other's genitals. That's so here, incredible. so here's what I was trying to talk about um, before the masturbating and crying mm-hmm. and and showing and, each other our dick. And Jim Weiss's dick, yeah. uh, and Jim Weiss's dick. Um, the transition. This is so hard to talk about now because <laughs> it's, it's just a normal question. But your transition as into showrunners, um, you, you're given up a lot when you do that. Yes. But it, it's a natural progression. It's something you want to do. It's something you want to have control. This is just the nature of the business you want to progress. To sure. That. But you are now not. You can't get you can't be the guy fucking around in the room anymore. No, no, yeah. You have a bottom and line. And that's for you, I'm guessing that's really hard. Really hard. Yeah. Insanely. Especially after four years of this now, where you're like, we're we're about to shoot our we're about to table read our eighty our ninetieth episode. And at a certain point you're like, Oh my god, I've I've run I I'm dry. I've got nothing left. I got no stories left. Because a lot of the stories on our show come from personal experience. Like as micro penis as an example is a real story. It happened. It's tr- it's as honest as, as anything. It's from somebody in the room? Oh, yeah. Oh, my. Yeah, graphic oh. detail. I know a lot about micropenises. Uh, and uh, most, of the, most of the shit that goes down and on the show. And nothing about vaginas. I still don't know what that is. <laughs> I don't know. All right. Okay. Uh, I know. I mm. Look, your partner probably does. So if you guys. He does all the heavy lifting. Yeah. I have a wife and I have three kids. I don't. I should know this. Probably. Eh, either that or you should kind of get to the dna checked or something i don't know what that is okay either. never mind <laughs> let's just not even open that pandora's box um yeah no there's there's a bottom line i see the budgets and i know when we're over budget and you know we have a we, you know you're basically sitting on top of a multi-million dollar enterprise right. that a that you don't even that's not your multi-million dollars it's 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 rupert murdoch's enterprise no but they're relying on you to keep it on the tracks and you're a monkey boy i yes. mean there is there is something about the inmates running the asylum in, oh, yeah. in this but you 
you do have to be a grown up. Yeah, and I, it's weird. I've gone from being the youngest on on staff to being like the doubly old uh, person on staff, and I, I do. I have to be Especially responsible with the beard. Oh, I look I look rabbinical, <laughs> um, and I'm treated as as such. Are you? Oh, so rabbinical. with deference. I talk about my mommies a lot. That's he's a rabbi. I'm not that Jewish. I'm sorry. <laughs> I lost you like you lost me on the lady parts. Yeah, I have no... You're, you're, you're talking vagina talk right now to me. I'm just hearing wah, wah, wah. Um, I hear you. Yeah. But you have to critique writers. You have to... Oh, yeah. I mean, you have to I crack just, the whip. Before I got in here, I got a, I got an email from a writer who's turning in his draft today, and it's like... 36 pages long it needs to be 26 pages long so i know tomorrow. but they know that right <laughs> what, they what's know that it, about it, you know what sometimes it's it's just a fact of like we broke a story that's far too big to fit in 26 pages yeah. and we didn't know that until he went out to try to write it sometimes it's just folly like sometimes someone just fucked up but you know you just never know but yeah that there is that sort of thing where tomorrow morning i have to go in and and take apart a script and re-break it and rewrite it and it's got to be ready by next friday so it can go out to be tabor at a monday like the, the train doesn't stop yeah um, I don't think people realize how hard work, how much hard work goes into just the creation of that. Thing. It's pretty brutal because they don't really. It doesn't let up. Yeah. Like once the train, you have pre-production. It runs for you know eight weeks before you start shooting. The minute you start shooting, it's, it's just you're out of a cannon, and you don't stop until March. It's phenomenal. And it, <clears throat> this is probably why so many shows fail because mm-hmm. it's so hard to do it and do it right. And you're relying on so much. The fact that you guys have a cast. That is one of those magical combinations yeah. of the perfect people for the perfect it's stuff. It's all alchemy. It's, it's 100% ridiculous. alchemy. And that can't, that can't happen all the time. And no. then you've got you know people like you and you guys writing great stuff for them. I mean, it just it just doesn't happen. It took Liz and me and Brett and Jake Kasdan and Peter Chernin's group with with Catherine Pope and Pavanchetti, and then Zoe stepping in and yeah. Jake stepping in and getting like getting all those right pieces at the right. Max Greenfield was was a was a revelation. Just out of out of nowhere yeah. this guy becomes this crazy character that that now it, in a way kind of the break actually and it was meant to be a vehicle for for zoe oh yeah and, zoe it, be- and, and it became an ensemble yeah and it, so things you can't expect either it, you it, just have to roll with when they happen well that's the thing about a show a good sh- a good show we've certainly been on other ones but we th- this is when you're on a good show and i mean good show by 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 timeline not by by quality I, I, it tells you where it's supposed to go. You can't for if it's yeah. a bad show, it's a show that's clearly not working and you're, you're struggling with, and you're trying to like push a boulder uphill. But this is this sort of thing is like no, if if it dictates where the stories are supposed to go because it's sort of like taking on its own organ, it's its own organism at this point. We don't force our will on on the show. Right. And was that hard for Liz or was she willing no, to she's go? That- super willing to do it. Great. She's a, she comes from a theater background too, so it's just all about. You know, feeling feeling the moment and, and knowing if it's right. You know, the moment when when Jess and Nick kissed in season two was a pivotal moment for the show. It wasn't in the script originally. It didn't table read that way. It wasn't in the script until that week. And then we were watching the stuff on stage, going like, "What what are we fucking around here for? Let's just do this." Oh wow! And we wrote it in, and then it happened. Um, oh great! So yeah, I mean, it truly is like it just sort of has its own life, and, and you just sort of have to follow it. So as, a, as I'm more of a caretaker for it, or Brett and myself and Liz are, um, and that's it's a good position to be in. Yeah. So let's uh, let's jump ahead let, uh-huh. into the future of Dave Finkel, well past the point that you're masturbating and crying here. In Always going to happen. But but let's go further than that. All right. Um, 
the show's going to have it's going to end at some point. Sure. Do you create? Are, are you pitching? Have are between shows? Were you always pitching? You and Brad? Oh yeah, yeah. Definitely. So you've got your original ideas. You've you'll go back to those at some point. Oh yeah. Movies. Yeah, we wrote a screenplay once, and it's it's. It, I'm a TV kid. Yeah. Like I I wouldn't mind writing a movie at some point, but I'm a TV kid, and so we this, have this form still satisfies you. Yeah, because yeah. it, it, especially now with the way that it's stratifying across like a different, there's so many different ways you can do it now between what Louis doing over over there and like the things that are happening on Netflix and stuff. Like, there's the the pay scale is going down, but the ability to do something interesting is going out. Like, it, it's just out of astronomical. It's like out of, out of control, which is great. Yeah, the fact that the, the thing I tell up and coming people. You know, it's happened a lot. Is like you're, we're in a world now where you can just just shoot it, just make it. You know, the guys that created it's always sunny in Philadelphia. They just shot that yeah, thing and yeah. they own it. So it's like it's a quality show that they have their fingerprint on. It's never going to change, and they can make they can dictate what the terms are for that show. And at the end of the day, when it syndicates, they're driving. They, they're they're all crashing Teslas into the, you know. <laughs> What is it with you? What makes you think that people with a ton of money are crashing things into each other? I don't know. Is, is that I don't know what rich people do. Uh, I don't know. But but aren't you sitting on that monkey boy money? Well, yeah. But aren't you, are you going to inherit that yeah. saddle fortune? At those some are point? Disney bucks, and they they're only good at the Disney store. <laughs> oh, I see. Yeah. <laughs> Well, then you could crash the cars, cars, <laughs> the cars, into, cars each. into each other. I, I hadn't thought about that. Thank you. No, but like, yeah, owning your own destiny is a fantastic, you know, way, yeah. to, way to live your life. So, hopefully, I mean, who knows what the future holds? It's exciting. All right. So, uh, what would be the trigger to make you sad right now, and and start the the spiral here on the podcast? I just continue to stare at me and like just oh. look, look blank faced at me, like I've done something slightly wrong. Do you have a dark period where you were drinking every day, or or doing smack, or I never got to the smack place, but I, oh, the darkness Dumb. is always always. I mean, the first season of of New Girl, as one example, I spent. 24 hours a day at the office, seven days a week. My wife was pregnant with our third child. I never saw her. I was sleeping on the couch. I have a sleeping bag and an inflatable bed in my office. It got dark, dark, so dark. So Brett and I drink it like just. What's the what's the beverage of choice in that situation? At that point, it was a lot of Belvedere vodka. All right. I mean, just. Well, just at put, least it was classy. Yeah, we got the classy, but there were like empty bottles like like ricocheting around the office. Oh, my God. That was awful. Yeah. But it was great. All right. It's it's the, you know, that this, this kind of shit happens once. So the dark comes with, or the, the good comes with the incredible darkness. Yeah. Uh, this has been great. You scare me a little bit still, yeah, like you always have. Yay! Uh, but, I'm doing my job. But uh, but funny at the same time. I think that's the microcosm of this. <laughs> um, what were we going to call this episode? It wasn't uh, uh, blackface. It was. Uh, no, I was like, look in my eyes. Like, I don't know. <laughs> Jerk off. All right, you can go now. <laughs> It's been lovely spending time with you. I hope yeah. is this like nine hours long. It's it's an hour and tw- it's the longest one yet. It Fuck. breaks the record. Now. I'm sorry. I'm no, sorry. what are you sorry about? This has been great. I've loved this. Right. People are going to get a lot out of this, nice. and they will have Googled like 50 different things. That there you they go. have no idea what we're talking about. But if that means one person looked up your show of shows, then, then I've done my I job. Think we've done good work here. Cool. All right. All goodbye, right. Dave Finkel. All right. Thank you, Larry Morgan. I love you. Get a monkey. Get a monkey! This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, 
You call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.